Where do we find in scriptures that Jesus himself asked or instructed others to ask explicit questions of the youth? We'll talk about that and more next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? A few months ago, Sam Young, who is a Mormon father from Houston, Texas, began a hunger strike as he challenged the LDS church leadership to stop adult Mormon bishops from conducting private interviews with youth and young adults. Some of the bishops ask sexually explicit questions as they interrogate their youth whether or not they follow the Mormon religious law of chastity. Sam Young and many supporters charge that the questions are inappropriate and often lead to the youth suffering years of shame and guilt. Young was subsequently summoned into a Mormon so-called love court <laughs> and duly excommunicated. There's more information that is found that you can find on the internet, a link on the screen which is a very long link, but you can Google Sam Young and get the information. Now we have always pointed out that the Mormon church has been and is dishonest about its true history, which includes their strange focus on sex. Yeah, and we've had true. plenty of shows <laughs> to prove, to prove that, <laughs> showing yes. that. And so before we go any further, we need to caution our viewers that there will be some mildly graphic content <laughs> in this program. Now, the practice of polygamy by its very nature invites an inordinate focus on sex. Their Mormon God is polygamous, Jesus Christ, their Mormon Jesus is a polygamist, exaltation depends upon a man living polygamy, Godhood depends and demands polygamy, and the beginning of millions of babies to supply human population for their own Earth-like planets. Now, a minimum of 33 wives, and a or a minimum of three wives, excuse me, and a maximum of 999 wives, according to Brigham Young. Now, that's a lot of sex. We quote... <laughs> Yeah, I'd never heard this before, actually. <laughs> Thursday, April 5th of 1894. I met with the quorum and presidency in the temple. President Woodruff then spoke. In searching out my genealogy, I found about 400 of my female kindred who were never married. I asked President Young what I should do with them. He said for me to have them sealed to me unless there were more than 999 of them. The doctrine startled me, but I had it done. <laughs> <laughs> I think the reason was because he couldn't ever outdo Solomon with his thousand wives. Oh, I got you. <laughs> now, every polygamous man thinks that he'll have all his plural wives in heaven. Uh, it's unseemly and indecent for any religion to have such a focus on so much sexual activity, not to mention make it a part of their salvation process and an eternal lifestyle. Early Mormon polygamy had some strange sexual activity and looseness in their practice of plural marriage. Joseph Smith married 11 teenagers. 11 of his polygamous wives were already legally married mm. to living husbands. He propositioned several other married women who refused his advances. <laughs> Sexuality is the foundation of Mormonism, both by doctrine and by practice. We have another quote. Yeah, this is from Ann Eliza Young. She was a wife of Brigham Young in the book, Wife Number Nine. One woman said to me not very long ago since, while giving me some of her experiences in polygamy, the greatest trial I ever endured in my life was living with my husband and deceiving him by receiving Joseph's attentions whenever he chose to care to me. 
Some of these women have since said that they did not know who was the father of her children. This is not to be wondered at, for after Joseph's declaration annulling all Gentile marriages, the greatest promiscuity was practiced, and indeed, all sense of morality seemed to have been lost by a portion, at least, of the church. Now, that's kind wow. of the wow, isn't yeah. it? And, and again, we have to ask, why such a focus on sexuality? Is that what the only true church is really all about? LDS salvation depends upon eternal sex and procreation through temple marriages. Salvation and righteousness come through sex, as Joseph Smith promised in Doctrine and Covenants 132. Yes, and this is verse 32. Go ye therefore and do the works of Abraham. Enter ye into my law, which is eternal polygamous marriages, and ye shall be saved. And in verse 37 it says, Abraham received concubines, and they bore him children, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Really? A little different than Hebrews. Wives and concubines <laughs> make you righteous. And, yeah. Yeah, and is there salvation? It's right there. Yeah. But does God declare people righteous based on whether they're married or if they're polygamist? Polygamy groups, of course, take their cue from original <laughs> Mormonism. They also have an unhealthy focus on sex and marriage for salvation. And like the LDS Church, their focus on sex has become more and more corrupt. It's much like those religious sex cults that the Old Testament warns against. Now, there are many, many books written by past victims who have escaped polygamy groups, and we've interviewed several of them on our show and discussed some of the horrible experiences that they suffered in the polygamy group. We have a couple of quotes from Rachel Jeffs, daughter of Warren Jeffs, to illustrate our point. She says, not long after grandfather's passing, father told the people God had come down into father's bedroom and ordained him an apostle himself. That bedroom is considered sacred to this day. I hadn't forgotten what father had said to me at Uncle Roy's funeral when I was a little girl. The prophet is the greatest man on earth. The prophet is the only man worthy of hearing God's word. And I knew father wasn't a good enough man. And she knew that. She knew that. Because her father, of course, was Warren Jeffs, and she knew he wasn't a good enough man because she had experienced some horrible sexual times of molestation before that by her father. Not only had he, he molested her beginning when she was eight years old, but he also introduced her to pornography when she was 10 years old. We quote from her book, page 23. When I was 10, father started taking me to bookstores and libraries to show me pornography. He would park me in the children's section, then go to where the adult books were shelved, then bring them back to me. Rachel, look what men and women do together. Or, he would say, look at what men and women do to themselves. She's only 10 years old. Mm. For some reason, for many polygamous men, many wives are never enough. <laughs> They're always seeking more wives and more sex. Why did Joseph Smith have to take 33 wives? It only takes two to make a man a polygamist. Why did Brigham Young have to have 56 wives? Why did Heber C. Kimball have to have 45 wives? Why does Paul Kingston need over 30 wives? Why does Daniel Kingston need over a dozen wives? Why did Warren Jeffs need 80 wives? 80 wives. Yeah. 80 wives. Sometimes, despite their multiple choice for bed partners, many of them still molest their own daughters, and as we just read, are also hooked on, poly on pornography. One more quote by Rachel Jeffs. Many times he would take me back to his office, undress himself and me, 
and then have us imitate, minus the actual penetration, the positions in the pictures he had just shown me. Ten years old. Gosh. And he and she's his daughter. Now, whether it's original Mormonism or modern polygamy groups, this focus on sex is unhealthy. It's unethical and immoral and produces a culture that demeans and objectifies and subjugates females and creates an environment where sexual crimes are more prevalent than in other cultures because they are secret societies. Now, let's look at again at some pioneer style mm. <laughs> Mormon polygamy. This is from Fanny Stenhouse in her book Tell It All, page 139. What now was to be a woman's lot among the Mormons? A life without hope. Who can express the terrible meaning of those words without hope? Yet so it was, hereafter our hearts were to be daily and hourly trampled upon, the most sacred feelings of our sex were to be outraged, our affections were to be crushed, Henceforth we were to be nothing by ourselves. Without a husband, we were told, we could not even enter heaven. But had our trials been limited to this life, we might have borne them, as many a weary soul has done, waiting for the relief of death. But death was to bring no hope to us. We were, to be, we were told that in the other world, polygamy should be the only order of marriage, and that without it, none could be exalted in glory. We were told these things by men who we believed were true and holy men of God, and we trusted in them. Proving that they do lead their members astray. <laughs> yes. Polygamy here on earth, and then polygamy there for eternity. You know, females in Mormonism have no eternal hope of heaven without the curse of polygamy. And that's what she was bewailing there, how yeah. sad it is. Of course, it isn't true. <laughs> Historically, Mormonism considers females as less than equal partners, Mormon President Hinckley called men's wives their possessions. The same is true of Mormon polygamy groups. Females are under patriarchal control, and their purpose and value is in having babies and helping their husband become a god. <laughs> they also have a history of sexual excesses, we quote. Again from Anne Eliza Young. One woman said to me not very long since, while giving me some of her experiences in polygamy, the greatest trial I ever endured in my life was living with my husband and deceiving him by receiving Joseph's attentions whenever he chose to care to me. Some of these women have since said that they did not know who was the father of her children. This is not to be wondered at, for after Joseph's declaration annulling all Gentile marriages, the greatest promiscuity was practiced, and indeed, all sense of morality seemed to have been lost by a portion, at least, of the church. And we quoted that before, but this is just to bring out the right. point that even then, the promiscuity she mentions was taking place in the church all as a result of polygamy. Today's Mormons, what would you have thought if you had known about that while you were still LDS? They would never believe it. No. and But to have Joseph declare annul or annul all the Gentile marriages yeah. that they didn't have any value or didn't have right. any uh, strength or whatever to uh, so he could go ahead with his spiritual yeah. wife. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, they, then that's just it. They could yeah. take any wife, even though they were legally married to other people. It didn't matter. He it was just a swift at the pinch. He yep. just annuls everything and yeah. and then he, he can do whatever he wants. But let's go back to Sam Young yeah. at this point. 
he was protesting the unethical and necessary, unnecessary explicit questions asked of the Mormon youth, which are the temple questions that you ask in order for a member to get the to temple vote, rent. Yeah, or even the, Do they do it to renew the recommend as well, uh-huh. every, yeah. ever so often? Every other year. Okay. No. So, so they had to go through these questions on a regular basis. Now, a web page has been posted on the Internet which has testimonies Uh, of many, many people who were victims of the sexually explicit questions that went on behind the closed door sessions with their Mormon bishops. And we want to share some of those testimonies. And there's a lot of them there. So we picked up, I think, three or four to talk about. And they're really tough, yeah. And so uh, the, the link, I think, has already been on the screen where you can go and look at those testimonies yourself. The first one is Testimony 901, and it said, quote, I hated the interviews, but my bishop was cool. He lived across the street. I knew his kids. Two years later, we had a new bishop. I went for my interview for the six-month valid t- temple recommend. I was asked if I masturbated. Well, that was awkward and more comfortable than any previous interview. I lied. I didn't feel worthy to go to the temple because I lied to my bishop about touching myself. I quit going for a temple interview. I had so many sins, touching myself and lying about it, honest tithing, impure thoughts. I didn't want to go to the interview with my creepy bishop. Going to the temple wasn't worth the interview process. That's sad, isn't it? Oh, it's it's just heartbreaking. <laughs> it is. And of course, this is a teenager. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't say how old this person was when it happened, but he is. It is a teenage person, and and it just it just goes to show. Again, it's none of their business, <laughs> but it just goes to show that going to the temple yeah. wasn't worth it to them. No, to go through this. And I don't know if you had any kind of experience like that when you were a bishop. I really didn't. I didn't ask those questions as a bishop, and I was never actually asked those questions as a as an interviewed by by someone either. else. That's yeah. interesting. And of course, so when it doesn't happen all the time, but it has happened enough that it needs to be addressed. Well, that's the thing. A lot yeah. of bishops don't. Yeah. I understand that. But those who do yeah. are just. I have a friend where he would call her up and ask her if she, if if she had started her period or if. Uh, if yeah, or if she had an orgasm when she was oh, was uh, having sex without marriage, you know, and and I'm going, is he sitting there at his desk thinking about it? So he calls her to talk to I her know, about it. I mean, it's just it's it is creepy. Uh, it is creepy. <laughs> yeah, and authentic Christian churches would never hold private interviews like this and ask those kinds of questions of youth or anybody. Now, any church that practices these kinds of interviews are not following any guideline from the Bible. They're totally out of line. They assume freedoms and authority that God certainly hasn't given them. We have another quote from this website. It's rather long, but it's a very interesting story. Yeah, it's fascinating. When I was a little girl, I was sexually abused by my older brothers and an older cousin. I was three when the abuse started. It happened almost daily until I was nine years old. When my parents found out what happened, they took my brothers and and I all to see our bishop. In an interview, all on my own at just nine years old, I was asked to relive the six years of sexual abuse I went through with my untrained and unlicensed bishop. I was told I needed to repent for what happened to me. I needed to repent for being sexually abused at three years old. I was told that I was just too pretty and I needed to be careful because boys would always be knocking down my front door to get to me. (laughs) Fast forward several years, I was a teenager, 15 I believe, and I was back in the bishop's office repenting for kissing a boy. During that interview, the bishop 
asked me pressing questions about whether or not the boy had touched me inappropriately. I said he had grabbed my breasts, without my consent, by the way, and the bishop told me to touch myself on my body where the boy had touched me and to imitate the way he had massaged them. I felt so uncomfortable, but I had always been taught that I had to be open and honest with my bishop. I had several encounters like that with bishops. They always wanted me to touch myself on my body where a boy had touched me so that they could see how badly I had sinned and know what the appropriate consequence was for me. I was also asked questions about what I was wearing or doing that would tempt these boys so much. I was told that if I didn't dress modestly, then I was pornography for men and inviting them to act inappropriately with me. Notice how they burdens all on burden the female. Yep. It's all her fault. No matter what, it's all her fault. And I've heard tons, oh, so many stories from women who have contacted me about things that have happened, and it was always her fault. Always her fault. Now, after finally discovering the truth about Mormon church history and their corruptions, this entire family left the church. They had their names removed from the church records, and the mother wrote, they have never been happier. <laughs> this is just a sample of the many testimonies on the website that is explaining their focus on sex by some of their leaders and the highly sensitive and personal inappropriate questioning in closed-door private sessions. The, the LDS have no room to come complain about Mormon polygamy groups while they are guilty of these things. We have another testimony from the website to share. When I was 12, I started having yearly bishop interviews where he would ask me questions about keeping the commandments and if I was following the church rules. The door was always closed and the main focus was always on the sexual questions. He would breeze past most of the questions, but would spend the most time on the sexual questions and would push for information that I was much too young to understand. And again, it's just, the, and, and there's many, 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 many just like this yeah. on the website. And after reading so many stories about all the pain and shame these young folks suffered because someone poked their noses into someone else's life, we cannot help but ask this question and wonder, and they're worried about being known by the name of Mormon? <laughs> That's, that's their, their priority. That's their big change. <laughs> oh, my word. Their leader, and in their last conference, castigated the use of Mormon and other so-called nicknames of the Mormon church. He said, Satan has a victory when nicknames are used. Please show us scriptures to back up what he said. Now, Gordon Hinckley <laughs> said... The name Mormon was honorable. We have a graphic that I thought was interesting from a Zelf on the Shelf, where Russell Nelson says that the word Nor Mormon is a nickname when Satan wins when you use it, and yet Hinckley says it's honorable. So my question is, which one is the prophet? Just who, like they're asking. Who's speaking as a, as a prophet or as a man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a prophet is a man. Good point. Yeah. But why is this so important? Jesus gave nicknames. The Apostle Peter is an example. As soon as he met Peter, he says, Ah, you're going to be known as Cephas. Uh, or his name yeah. was Cephas, and you'll be known as Peter. So, so Jesus gave nicknames. And how many names does Jesus have? Dozens yes, of names true. in the Bible. But most importantly, 
why is the name Mormon more important to publicly decry than to acknowledge the unchristlike treatment of young people and females yeah. in their religion? And maybe they might consider apologizing to all Mormon polygamists who have been led astray by Joseph Smith's false doctrine of polygamy for exaltation, who have been hurt and who have been abused because of their own doctrine of multiple wifery. Joseph Smith must be turning over and over again in his grave because they've trashed his polygamy, even though God revealed it as a binding doctrine forever and ever, and now they're trashing the name Mormon as well. Yeah, that's, a, that's funny. <laughs> Nelson's talk during this last conference merely proves for the thousandth time that they continue to be sexist, racist, and turn blind eyes against the pain and abuse of their own members. They're still racist because all those verses containing dark skin or condemning dark skin is still in their book of blank and why does the Nelson address that problem? The book of blank. <laughs> <laughs> They're sexist. He told the females to take a 10-day fast from social media because it caused them to have unclean thoughts. Just how would he know that? Yeah, this is what he actually said. I invite you to participate in a 10-day fast from social media and from any other media that bring negative and impure thoughts to your mind. Nelson said this in, as he addressed the women-only session at the church's general conference. Pray to know which influences to remove during your fast. The effect of your 10-day fast may surprise you. What do you notice after taking a break from perspectives of the world that have been wounding your spirit? <laughs> okay, so they wouldn't dare not now. Once that challenge is made, they wouldn't dare not no. do that. No, no. Um, but the men weren't fast, <laughs> weren't ordered to fast no. from social media. Only the females were. So do only women have negative, <laughs> unclean thoughts while they're on social media? Or if male and female both have unclean thoughts, then it must be okay for the men to have them and not the, the females. they didn't need to take a fast from it, right? <laughs> right. As someone said... In response to Nelson's questionable idea, we quote, What the heck? <laughs> I think it might make him have unclean thoughts, but I doubt it does that to most of the women in the church. That, ma that prophet needs to get his mind out of the gutter. <laughs> yeah, what? Anyway, we won't go there. And every faithful Mormon female will obey Nelson just because he said to do it. Frankly, that only confirms to the LDS leadership that they can still control their members uh -huh. into unquestioning obedience, something the polygamy groups have been doing to women since the beginning. They continue to let a mere man tell them what they can and cannot do, when in reality it's none of their business. They force themselves into knowing the sexual thoughts and activities of Mormon teenagers in puberty. They now dictate social media activity. They need to realize that God was very serious when he told us that there's only one mediator between himself and us, and that one person is Jesus Christ. They strut around trying to put his name on their church, but they refuse to follow what he taught in the New Testament. Church leaders need to back off from their hyper-control of members and pay more attention to their own personal relationship with God. Sam Young challenged the Mormon church to protect LDS children. We say protect polygamous children too. They face even greater shame and danger, manipulation and coercion. They too are controlled by ungodly leadership. We have another quote about life in original Mormonism. Again from uh, Fanny Stenhouse. 
It would be quite impossible with any regard to propriety to relate all of the horrible results of this disgraceful system. Marriages have been contracted between the nearest of relatives and old men tottering on the brink of the grave have been united to little girls scarcely in their teens while unnatural alliances of every description, which in any other community would be disregarded with or be regarded with disgust and abhorrence, are here entered into in the name of God. It is quite a common thing in Utah for a man to marry two and even three sisters. I know also another man who married a widow with several children, and when one of the girls had grown into her teens, he insisted on marrying her also, having first by some means won her affections. The mother, however, was much opposed to the marriage, and finally gave up her husband entirely to her daughter, and to this very day the daughter bears children to her stepfather, living his wife in the same house with her mother." Isn't that awful? That's terrible. And you know, there's, there's, you know, this is one instance she talks about. There's got to be more than one, sure. and I know polygamy groups do this. But, mm -hmm. but people who are so proud of their polygamist heritage, I, would I they be too. proud of that? Would, I was if that too. Was, if I'm, that was in their heritage, would they be proud of that? Do they? Well, I don't know if they know the details, and I certainly don't think most mainstream Mormons think about what goes on. In in reality, with yeah, these situations, with the wives and the children and the yeah, abuse they say, and well, the I couldn't do it, so I really have to respect those who did. Yeah. So why don't they respect today's polygamy groups then? Well, they're outside the church, <laughs> <laughs> outside uh, the mainstream church. Questions you know? that really don't make yeah, sense, yeah, right? That's true. They did have and do have an inordinate focus and behavior towards sex, and from the day Joseph Smith was caught, and this has been so since the day Joseph Smith was caught with 16-year-old Fanny Alger in the barn, yeah. uh, making whoopee in the hay, and Emma watched and caught them. And ever since then, Joseph Smith has been figuring out ways and how to, and, and it's just, that, that's the foundation, and when that's the foundation, the result is going to be the same or worse. Yeah, you just never look at that in that perspective when you're an active member of the church. You just don't think about it. But in, in the introduction in section 132, it talks about this principle may have been known as early as 1831 is mm -hmm. what it says. And of course, that's that little affair he had with Fanny, Fanny Alger. Alger. Right. And the Mormon church has to say that was polygamy, although there's no sign of uh, nowhere anywhere that has there been any records found that he married her. Uh, had a celestial well, yeah, polygamous marriage has to with be her. Polygamy, or else he was an adulterer. Right, right. <laughs> and so they have to say that she was his first wife. When really she wasn't. So she maybe was just the, an affair. Maybe the angel came with a sword, or even earlier than he said, or something, <laughs> and made him play That's around funny. with any other. That, that, that angel with the sword story, he told I think to at least three different women. And every time he told that story, he says, if I don't start this, the angel would told me he would kill me. Well, he had already started. He'd already had several wives. <laughs> so he shouldn't have been in fear of his life at right, all, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Earl. Yeah, you bet. This is... Interesting. Very interesting. Very sad. You know, 500 years ago, a theologian argued that polygamy violates the commandments against adultery, theft, false testimony, and coveting all at the same time. He said polygamy violates the first wife's natural rights to faithfulness and trust in marriage and her rights to material security. He said polygamy is in opposition to the children's rights to have proper support, inheritance, and the complete care, nurture, and 
education of both father and mother together. And polygamy breaches a neighbor's rights to have an equal opportunity to marry without having most of the eligible women hoarded in one harem or having his own wife or daughters subject to the covetous attentions of a powerful polygamous neighbor. Polygamy is therefore doubly unnatural, he concluded, equally a violation of natural law and natural rights. All we can do is say to that, uh, to say to that is amen and amen. <laughs> polygamy does nothing to enhance life here or in the hereafter. Only Jesus can do that. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.